Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Robert Stankovic. Let's bow our heads. Father God in heaven, we just want to thank you this morning that your love is far greater than all the ink in the ocean and the massive parchment above in the sky could describe the love of God. It just goes beyond our imagination. It goes beyond and surpasses our wow factor that you would send your son to live and die for us and rise again and come back, Father. That is an amazing thing. And Lord, as we delve into a continuing series on health and wellness, may we have a purpose and a reason why we do what we do and appreciate the wisdom that you have given to us as a church with the health message and how that can only strengthen and help us as a people to serve you better. Bless us now with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. A month ago, I, I, I took a, a presentation um, and, and I shared some of the things from the book, The Blue Zones. And we've discovered that there were five particular strategic areas that he discovered in his journey of understanding better why there were some pockets of places that lived to 100 or more and that the predominant population in these areas were over 100. And why is it that in the Western world we struggle to get to 70 and 80? And not only that, we struggle in that 70 and 80. There were people we discovered that lived in places like Sardinia in Italy where they would be over 100 and still slashing grass instead of using a lawnmower um, and harvesting and, and hoeing uh, at an old age and thinking your hip is going to dislocate or your uh, bones are going to crack. But they didn't even have those kind of... Um, what do you call it? Atherosclerosis? Is that what it's called? Thing of the bone that I experience. Osteoporosis. Sorry, that's the heart. Sorry. <laughs> They're all big words anyway. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I'm not a, a medical doctor or anything like that. I'm just sharing what I've discovered and learned um, that it's going to help me in my journey uh, in, in, in getting better health. And we learn in, in Greece, in Icaria, uh, an island where dementia is not an issue at all. Um, they don't go to uh, nursing homes and, and retirement villages. They retire, uh, literally retire, when they stop working and their heart stops beating. Um, and they don't forget their family. They don't forget anything around them. Very sharp minds. It's like somebody just turned the switch off because of age, but not because of any illnesses. And then in Costa Rica, um, where what contributed positively to the extensiveness of the longevity and quality of life was that sense of community living and doing things together that increased 
their longevity and uh, being in the outdoors. And then in Okinawa, Japan, um, <clears throat> there were females over 70, the uh, longest living population in the world. And this particular lady, her name is Ushi Okushima, sounds very Japanese, uh, gardening at the age of 109. And then, of course, the fifth one they discovered in a little town called Loma Linda, uh, where there was many advent and see if they got the similar stats. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, you know, imagine doing some of these things at, you know, over 100. Uh, it's just uh, unheard of in our day and age. And so we've been blessed as a church to, and we've been given a message uh, through, through a special uh, messenger, Ellen White. And one of her very first visions, besides the vision of the nearness of Christ's coming, was the health message. And, um, and, and it's important that it's not something that we follow a tradition or a movement created by a person, but rather principles that is derived from the Word of God. God, God is not just interested in what we eat. He's interested in also in what we think and how we feel and how we engage with one another uh, in our quality. And we've read from Scripture um, that, that God wants us to prosper and be in good health, just as our soul prospers, just as we spiritually prosper in our walk with God, God wants to enhance our physical, our mental, our emotional and spiritual life so that we, in our relationship with God, God wants us to be stronger. Because how I feel, I don't know about you, but when I have a chronic flu, I feel like oh, I don't want to do anything. I'm sick. Like nobody don't talk to me. I just want to close up in a room and just sleep it off. Feel lousy. But God wants us to feel a lot better in our recovery time and, and minimize our getting sick and <clears throat> things like that. Amen. And the Bible says that, that not only does he want us to serve him better and prosper spiritually, but he, he wants to remind us that God created us of value and worth and he doesn't want us to destroy our bodies by unhealthful practices. Um, so whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, God wants us to glorify him, not to glorify ourselves. I mean, sometimes I go to the gym. <laughs> and, and here I am, a rookie, you know, pushing 18 kilos, and there's a guy next to me, you know, pushing 100. Okay. You know, don't show off. And, and you can tell that he enjoys, you know, I don't enjoy the gym. But I'm doing it because I need to. I have to or else I'm not going to live longer than my wife. My wife says, I don't want to be a widow. I says, okay, I'll, I'll run behind you or maybe beside you. Um, but yeah, you see this guy going, oh, oh, you know, and I thought, keep it to yourself, mate. You know, just let me do my little, you know, 18 kilos. <laughs> And then there's a few other verses that I've added in there. Serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So even what we feel affects, what's, affects the marrow in our bone. Yes. And what does the marrow do? Produce red blood cells. 
to have a healthy flow in our body and the healthy organs and, and, and all that and blood that flows through our brain and heart and just by having a negative critical spirit dries up the bones. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You know, positive affirmation, words of encouragement, builds up the immune system to fight disease and also fight doubts and deception and all those other things, to have clarity of mind. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Even what we say and how we say it, the tone of voice um, impacts. It can either shatter somebody's courage or it can bolster them and build them. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So even our devotions with God each day, even when we worship together and sing, it improves our health. Mentally, physically, spiritually. So we have an amazing Adventist message that is surpasses and overrides all other organizations in the history of this world. There's no other organization, religious or not, that has not promoted a health message than the Adventist church. But unfortunately, we don't always live up to it. We don't always do well in promoting it in, in, in a way that leads people to Jesus rather than repulses people. Yes. You know, there's extremism. Yes. You know, I'm just going to, you know, breathe the air. That's enough nutrition for me. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying there is, but I'm just going on the one extreme. Or you can't have any oil. You can't have even extra virgin olive oil because it will kill you. Well, I disagree. But sometimes when you overheat certain vegetable oils, yeah, it will have some effects on our body. But, you know, it's about finding that balance that, you know, the health message isn't a message of salvation. We have to be clear of that. What I do with my health is between me and God. While we're to encourage others... To adopt a better healthy lifestyle, it's for the reason that they can be happier in life and feel better about life and and be able to make a positive contribution to life and not be a burden to society. And so God has has written, um, no, God has written, God has inspired uh, Ellen White to write a few books that we are aware of, like the Ministry of Healing, Councils on Health, Councils on Diets and Foods. And, and it's amazing that a lot of organizations, non-Adventists, even medical and health fields, have read some of these books, particularly this one, Ministry of Healing. And, and, and when someone you know, goes to share a book, I remember reading a story and goes, oh, yeah, I know that book. I've had that for a few years in my library. You know, he's a neurosurgeon. He goes, yeah, good value, good value. Holistic, great. So, so God has given us eight laws of health. <clears throat> and if Derek 
would probably say there are 10, and that's okay. We can add those two uh, into the area of um, sleep or rest um, because it adds to that. But, you know, today I'm not going to talk about all these because in two weeks' time I'm doing part three, and I'll tell you about that a bit later on. But I want to focus on an area, particularly on nutrition, and a major study that's been done. So this is the current um, effects of health revolution in the modern person today. That's how man has evolved over the centuries, over the last century. Well, over the last millenniums, according to evolution. They started as an ape and they somehow straightened up. They started walking and then they were holding this soda drink and a big pop belly. And uh, so that, that's the kind of evolving that in people's thinking that people don't just evolve into something unless they make a choice and it changes that in their body. So the choice is not determined by chance. The choices in how I live affects the way I live towards others. It's not just I was born that way. So what we put into our mouths, how we move around, does affect us. So I want to just <clears throat> focus uh, more so on, on nutrition. And um, this is so important. I mean, out of all these eight, if you could choose one that you would religiously follow to the letter, which one would you choose? Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah. Now, what, what would happen if you sat out in the sun, not that you're worshipping it, but you're out in the sun enjoying the sunshine because of the benefits, and we'll talk about that in two weeks' time, but you ate junk food all the time. Would the sunshine eventually be good for you? In fact, you might be more prone towards skin cancer because of what we eat and what we don't do. It risks, increases our risk in those areas. So, so yes, sunshine is important. It's a great antidepressant. It's a disinfectant. It, it, it's important to open the windows and all of that. That's good. Um, if you chose water, um, if you don't drink water for seven, eight days, you will dehydrate and die. Well, you can go without food for 40 days, like Jesus did. Well, I probably wouldn't last a few days, but um, yeah. I would say nutrition. If I could choose one of them. You know what? And you say, what, Pastor? You didn't, even, you didn't even choose that one? What? Really? Why not trust God that he will, well, if I don't choose to follow his ways, trusting God's going to do anything. Because sometimes we fail to trust God. We're, we're trying to work hard. We're trying to eat well. We're trying to do all these good things. But we don't trust God with our heart our walk with God, and we become more self-centered, healthy sinners rather than healthy in a way in our mind and our body to reflect the wisdom of God, the pure wisdom of God that is gentle and peaceable, not critical and judgmental in how we present the beautiful health message. Very important. All right. <clears throat> Let me share a few things. This is one of the biggest studies that was done 
uh, quite a few years ago, back in the um, early 1980s. And for 20 long years, they wanted to discover how is it that there were parts of China, particularly in rural villages and regions of China, that there were people that didn't experience dementia or um, osteoporosis or atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries and high cholesterol and all these lifestyle practices that is so predominant, these illnesses predominant in the Western world. They wanted to discover and they spent 20 years. And so Dr. Uh, Colin Campbell, uh, particularly at first with his son, and then there was a, a, a few other um, uh, groups in China, as well as another Oxford University. And um, they, grand, they came together and New York Times called this study the Grand Prix of Epidemiology. And the most comprehensive large study ever undertaken of the relationship between diet and the risk of developing disease, any kind of disease. The impact just our diet has on our well-being, let alone exercise and all the other things that contribute to our holistic lifestyle. And so this study was done over a 20-year period, and, and it, it began with uh, with 2,400 Chinese regions and over eight to 10,000 people individually. And then there were whole villages studied, there were whole regions studied, all in all kinds of sections. And they began to come up with some interesting discovery uh, of what they came with from this study. And this is an overall uh, results of the importance of this. So weight loss maintenance lowers risk of cancers, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, lowers cholesterol and blood pressure, builds stronger bones, lowering risk of osteoporosis and osteoarthritis, maintaining healthy optimum immune system, high in fiber, reducing risk of colon cancer, high in antioxidants, fights aging and other cancers and makes you feel look younger. By adopting a higher plant-based diet, and we intentionally as a church encourage a vegetarian luncheon. Sometimes things do creep in, that's okay. There's no issue with that. But we want to encourage that because there is something, and I'm not here to say, you know what? Pastor Rob said we all got to become vegan, otherwise we're going to burn in hell forever. No. Nothing changes overnight. Remember the story, children's story? Uh, everything takes time. Yes. It might be increasing plant-based food. It might be decreasing other areas of animal products. So the biggest study that came there, I just want to share a couple of interesting points um, uh, about that. Ten interesting um, conclusions of the China study. They discovered that the Western diet, particularly America, of all European, Australia and everything, America was the worst when it comes to junk food and a high usage of animal products. And um, the increase of obesity, diabetes, heart disease and cancer has been increasing dramatically. 
and, um, and, and says, yes, we're eating a lot of better foods, but we are still holding older habits of high sugar and, and refined foods that are not beneficial to our health. Uh, <clears throat> he said in here that in multiple peer reviewed animal studies, researchers discovered that they could actually turn the growth of cancer cells on and off by raising and lowering doses of dairy and animal products, particularly animal protein found in animal products. And they said that the decreased use of animal products and dairy and meats in fact, we're like switches that helps the body to switch around and work better and differently than if all that stuff was continually coming into our body. The food you eat affects the way your cells interact with carcinogens, making them more or less dangerous. By what we eat, we'll either trigger something on that will increase the risks of carcinogens and cancer growth in our bodies, or by an increase of plant-based diet, it would decrease the risks of switching off these carcinogen and cancer-producing uh, cells. Um, it says that... Um, <clears throat> The author, uh, the author Campbell says, the results of these and many other studies showed nutrition to be far more important in controlling cancer promotion than the dose of the initiating carcinogen. So, so the carcinogen there, we increase it tenfold the risk of getting cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, bell, all these different cancers that are common today, breast cancer, particularly dairy with breast cancer. That was an interesting uh, thing that, that, that he wrote here in that regards. Um, even heart disease, they, they studied that could reverse heart disease through nutrition. The authors share the work of other respected physicians that they support their own data collections and some of the most interesting are on heart disease that by adopting a more plant-based food, the body is able to handle these intrusions of particular viruses in our body and be able to deal with it better so nothing doesn't become cancerous. <clears throat> Carbs, carbohydrates. Today it's lower the carbohydrates, increase the protein. It all depends the type of carbohydrates and the type of protein. Is it a plant-based protein or is it a animal products-based protein? Makes all the difference in, in how, that, um, how we respond to that. It says highly processed, refined carbohydrates are bad for you, but plant foods are full of healthy carbs. And he was saying there also that a high use of animal protein was detrimental to our health. Not just bad, detrimental. It would be sowing seeds of discord in our cells and, and not be able to function. And the cells, is, it's, like, it's like the cells are functioning at 50% with a sniffle. 
every cell in your body has a sniffle, like you're about to come down with a cold. And he was saying it's like that, and we're doing that over and over and over to the point our system gets so weakened, we're not able to fight disease well. Um, let me just share a couple more other things. So he, he concludes, he says this, there are virtually, about meats, he says, there are virtually no nutrients in animal-based foods that are not better provided by plants. The author says protein, fiber, vitamins, minerals, you name it, they've got it, along with major health benefits. Now, he's not an Adventist. In fact, he was the biggest meat eater, according to himself, and dairy use of all people that he knew. He even promoted it to, for the importance of calcium in your body. But he uh, says this is false. And to the fact, which is interesting, all of this has greatly, this 20-year study, and you may notice for some of us who are older, that over the last 20, 30 years, that you've noticed maybe a shift in health direction and interest in our governments and in community organisations. Because when I was a little kid, even a youth, um, smoking wasn't an issue. They never, no one said anything about it. We were the ones running five-day stop smoking programs. The government didn't even lead out in that. Now they've gone ahead of us. They're running all these quit nows and quit uh, campaigns and, and they're trying to get people off smoking and, and minimise on alcohol and, and increase plant-based foods and all of that. It's not just in Australia. The whole world, according to this research, has been impacted by this study, the China study. Because they're saying, how is it that Chinese people are living better and longer overall? And... Um, and that's what they discovered besides other important activities. Yeah, they didn't use so much gyms over the years, but they got a hoe and a shovel and dug in the garden. They were active in their bodies. The impact that this China study and this whole vegan revolution in nutrition has impacted the former US president, sports people like uh, uh, Djokovic and other tennis players, um, who have sworn by a, a, a plant-based diet that gives them performance and physical stamina to, to pursue their sporting careers. Even programs like Limitless by Chris Hemsworth, uh, he did a six-part series uh, on the impact of lifestyle choices and fasting and, and eating a plant-based diet and things like that. Um, yeah, because he says, I don't want to grow up and, and forget my children and grandchildren. I don't want dementia because he had a family that have issues with uh, Alzheimer's and that. And people like Lewis Hamilton, Formula One, a vegan, and quite a few of the others. People like Chris Pratt, Hollywood actor, um, who's, who's you know, in Jurassic World and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a vegan. He even has created his own Chris Pratt diet from these studies that have been done over the last 20, 
30 years. Even non-Adventist Christians are beginning to see the benefits of even the Daniel diet or the Daniel fast, um, where fruits and vegetables and beans and legumes are essential and they've written recipe books. And, you know, we should be the head and not the tail of this movement. Um, and uh, our church sanitarium that is owned by our church also promotes some very good health and nutritional information on their websites. Great lady, Sue Rad, I grew up with her in Melbourne. She was about a, she's about a couple of years older than me. And um, she's a great nutritionist, well-recognized in the uh, health and medical industries. Um, people like Dr. Darren Wharton, um, he's, he's, he's also a guru. He's appeared on Channel 10 and many other programs written on Live More Happy about the impact of what we eat affects our moods and our relationships with, with others and, um, and how the importance of what we eat affects our mental wellness and our spiritual wellness. And the Bible says, Behold, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, I want to encourage, because next, in two weeks' time, I'm going to look at the benefits of all these other areas in our health, how that stems nutritional experience and what that looks like. So in two weeks' time, I want to look at wellness and how you and I can make a new start or a renewed start in increasing more of plant-based and decreasing in other areas of animal products, increasing exercise. You know, don't go to the gym and lift 150 kilos. You probably injure yourself. But take it moderately, little by little. Increase your ability, whether it's not the gym, going for walks or whatever it is. We'll talk more about that next in two weeks' time. So I want to encourage us that what we choose, what we eat, what we move and how we do life will impact how we serve Jesus better. Because there's nothing so much harder than being sickly and trying to be motivated and driven to serve God cheerfully when we're not well all the time. And God wants us to remove those obstacles and increase our stamina, increase our capacity to serve and love God better. Choose to say, God, I want to learn a little bit more. I want to grow more in my understanding of not just taking care of my relationship with you, but how all the choices I make impacts that relationship how I feel in my body and in my mind. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we want to serve you faithfully, but we want to also serve you with clarity and strength of vigor and determination uh, to feel at our best, at our peak, and not struggle through life. I don't want to struggle. I'm, I'm already just over 50 and, and I don't want to get to 60 or 70 and I'm feeling a bit crippled, uh, whether it's physically or mentally or exhaustion or whatever it is, Father. I want to take care of myself. Oh, Lord, I just pray that we can take care of ourselves because we are fearfully and wonderfully made 
And we want to honour you with our bodies, honour you with our choices in what we eat and what we do and and how we do it, that we may honour you, not ourselves, to honour you, not to put others down, but to lift people up to Jesus. And may you bless us, Father, as we go forward, uh, determined to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. family saying, I will serve thee. Coming up next, Fountain View Academy will sing Satisfied. All my life long I had panted 
Hamilton family will now sing Stay the Course. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Harold Harker. This story is entitled Unseen Angel in the Forest, and there's a reference from 2 Samuel 22, 3 and 4. The God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour. You save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. 
one beautiful, chilly autumn morning, when I was about four years old, our family of five and our golden retriever piled into the cab of our old blue 69 Ford pickup for a day of cutting firewood in the National Forest. The cab always had a distinctive smell of chainsaw oil and fuel mixed with the smell of leaves and bark. Within a few minutes, we were winding along the gravel mountain roads enjoying the sunrise and the songs of birds while searching for dead or down trees to cut. Soon, my father spotted a large dead tree three feet in diameter near the top of the ridge several hundred feet above us. Parking the truck at the base of the ridge on a logging road, he got out of the truck to get a better look. The tree was far uphill from the road, but the plan was simple. Cut the logs at the top and roll them down the hill. A 300-pound log easily smashes and crushes just about anything small in its path as it tumbles and hurtles down the steep mountainside. As my father and two older siblings climbed the ridge to the tree, my mother gave me unmistakably clear instructions. You can either stay with Mummy in the cab of the truck or you can play with your toy trucks on the ground in front of the truck. Then she stated very distinctly as she pointed, but do not go past the back tyres of the pickup. It's dangerous back there. Soon, my father began cutting sections of the tree and rolling them down the ridge. It was very exciting to see these huge logs crashing through the brush, not comprehending the powerful forces behind a massive log tumbling down a mountain, I ignored her instructions and approached the back of the truck for an up-close look. Moments before, my dad, not seeing me in the danger zone, released a log which was thundering down the side of the ridge, straight for me. At the same moment, my mother realised with helpless terror that her son was not with her. Such a log would likely kill me instantly. My mother hurried over the scene to find me, but I was not smashed on the road where I'd been standing, and I was not under the log. I was stretched out, lying on top of the log, where it had come to rest in the ditch. Quickly, she scooped me up into her arms and carried me into the cab of the pickup where she checked me and found no injuries. I had disobeyed my mother and it could easily have cost me my life. Why was I not dead? We believe my guardian angel was there to lift me above the log and then gently lay me on that same log after it came to rest. That day, God spared my life, even though I had been disobedient. When I'm tempted to be discouraged in life, I remember the miracle that God worked for me that day. God has a plan for my life 
and I desire to remain faithful to him until death. A reflection associated with this story comes from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 243. The mother succeeded in concealing the child for three months. And there were other watchers. The mother's earnest prayers had committed her child to the care of God. And angels, unseen, hovered above his lowly resting place. Angels directed Pharaoh's daughter thither. Her curiosity was excited by the little basket. And as she looked upon the beautiful child within, she read the story at a glance. The tears of the babe awakened her compassion and her sympathies went out to the unknown mother who had resorted to this means to preserve the life of her precious little one. She determined that he should be saved. She would adopt him as her own. The name of the story, Unseen Angel in the Forest, was written by Jonathan Dietrich. He's the director of Desert Tree Ministry in Chad, Africa. And if you want more details, you can visit this site, Desert Tree Ministry, all one word, deserttreeministry.org, for any more information. Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is the last in my book entitled God's Favoured Shepherds, and the story is entitled Why Did I Marry That Man? And the subtitle to the story is Hospitality Matters. And the story is based on the first book of Samuel, chapter 25. I am writing this when my past life has ended and a new life is opening up before me. A half a moon cycle ago, I could not have envisaged what was in store for me in recent days. My first husband is dead and my mind is in turmoil. What is going to happen to me now? I was only young when I married Nabal, less than 20 years since my mother brought me into this world. In those days, Nabal was an agreeable man, strong, able, and a man I was sure would be able to take care of me. I wondered why his parents gave him such an unfortunate name. It means foolish or reckless. He turned out to be just that in later years. With hard work and astute dealing, my husband increased his flocks and became quite wealthy compared to many of his peers in our town of Moan. This was a village on the edge of the wilderness of Judea. His flocks grazed around the well-known town of Carmel. Israel was unsettled during the reign of Saul, 
but perhaps things would improve when the next king came to the throne. We had heard that a young man from the tribe of Judah, the youngest son of Jesse, whose name was David, from the town of Bethlehem Ephrata, had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. No one seemed to know when this would take effect. We knew that Saul hated David, who had been a fugitive for years, as Saul tried to kill him or have him killed on many occasions. However, one day, major trouble erupted for us without warning. David had sent 10 of his band of warriors to Nabal's tent out in the country, where the shearers were shearing his 3,000 sheep, to inquire if Nabal would be able to spare some food from the feast that he provided for his shearers during this time. The men were respectful, but reminded Nabal that David's men had guarded his sheep and shearers so that no harm had come to them when they were around the area of Carmel, nor did they take even one sheep for food. David's men were taken aback when Nabal shouted, What? You come here expecting me to give you some food that I have prepared for my shearers. I have no idea who this David is. There are many vagabonds around these days who have escaped from their masters, so you just go back and tell your leader to go and get his food somewhere else. When David's men reported to him what had happened, he was furious. Get your swords, men. We're going to teach this foolish man a lesson. I want 400 of my men to come with me and 200 to stay here and guard our property. In the meantime, one of our young servant boys came to me and told me everything that had happened when David's men approached Nabal for some food. He had refused to show them the usual hospitality that is part of our culture in this part of the world. The boy told me that David's men had protected our sheep and shepherds and had never taken anything from them. With wisdom beyond his years, this young boy suggested we had better be prepared for something bad to happen, as David had hundreds of warriors who were afraid of no one. I knew what I had to do, something quickly to appease David's anger. I commanded my servant girls to help me get together 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep who were already dressed, 35 litres of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. We loaded all this food onto donkeys and made our way to where David and his men were staying. I sent some of my servants on ahead to tell him that I was coming. On the way, the road went around a hill, and when my party and I came to the other side, I saw David and his men with swords ready to use coming toward me. As soon as I came nearer to David, I alighted from my donkey, bowed low, and expressed my sorrow that my foolish husband, a real scoundrel, had treated David with such a lack of respect and courtesy. I had prepared a lengthy speech for David, and when I had said nearly all I wanted to say, I expressed the wish that God would deal kindly with him and that David would not punish me for the sin of my husband. When David saw the large amount of food I had brought for him, 
and his men, and heard my plea that he would show kindness to me and to my husband, he said, May the great God of Israel give you many blessings, for it was he who sent you to me today. May he bless you and the advice you have given me, so that none of your family will be hurt. Otherwise, there would have been no male of nobles left by the morning light. He told me to arise and go back to my home in peace. I have accepted what you have said and acknowledge your bravery in coming to me in this manner. So I returned to my home and found Nabal feasting like a king. And as he had drunk so much wine, there was no point in talking to him until the morning. And did I have much to tell him? I explained to Nabal the next day all about my meeting with David, how that I had given him a large gift of food and expressed my sorrow and regret for what my husband had done. When I told Nabal that David did not now intend to come and kill his sons and all the men of our household, he fainted and looked as though he were dead. He was not, but in ten days' time, the Lord punished him for his unkind and belligerent behaviour, and he died. David soon heard that Nabal was dead, and when the time of mourning had ended, he sent a party of his men to see me, to ask if I would become his wife. I agreed, and in the customary manner of our times, responded by saying that I would be his servant to wash the feet of my Lord. So when I prepared myself, I rode on my donkey, accompanied by five of my servant girls, and became David's wife. My name is Abigail. Now I have a quiz for you. Apart from David, who were the two main characters in this story? What occupation did Nabal pursue? Did he do all his farm work alone? Who was David's father? How many sheep did Nabal have? Did Nabal give David's men some food when they were hungry? Name some of the food items that Abigail took to David and his men. And who did Abigail marry when Nabal died? You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.